Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week, we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 20 with Joseph B. Avenue and Joseph Makos. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So I thought we'd talk today about vocabulary in poetry. As far as word choice? Yeah, like word choice. Like, what, would you, do you, what do you think it says about a poet, about how many words they use, and maybe what kind of words they use? Do you think that maybe tells us something about their poetry? I think it tells us a lot of things. Uh, for me, it probably tells me more about how much they've read. More, how much they read? What do you mean by that? I think... I think that more widely read people tend to have larger vocabularies. I think that people who play crossword puzzles tend to have larger well, vocabularies. Well, yeah, that's certainly true. That that You get all kinds of weird words in a crossword puzzle. I don't know if you'd even see reading that often. Right. But I think uh, people who generally have more a wider, have been have read wider in sort of like the canon of any specific genre, probably have a larger vocabulary in that genre. So with poetry, I guess it's a little different. If we have people who are fluent in one language or another, of course, they're going to have a different vocabulary coming through the language, coming through people that they've read, coming through like the parts of the canon that they've read. And then, and then, and then adding all sorts of other pieces, parts, you know, if you're, if you're only reading pastoral poetry, you're going to possess a vocabulary that's going to be conducive to you writing or understanding or frame, being able to frame and interpret pastoral poetry. So if you're reading, you know, which we'll come back to later, uh, if you're listening to more hip hop lyrics, then your chances are your work is going to be maybe a little bit more hip hop. Uh, or, you know, if you're reading James Joyce, you know, you're going to have a little bit of a different, completely different vocabulary and handle on things. So I don't think it's just vocabulary as in word choice, but I think it's vocabulary in so much as usage as well. Where you're picking it up from too, I guess. For yeah. sure. And maybe what subjects you're interested in too might have something to do with it. I kind of thought when I was thinking about this that it would be really easy to find someone who had like broken down word frequency by different authors. Okay. And there's a lot of that out there, but more for fiction than there is for poetry. For some reason, uh, you know, there's that book that came out maybe like a year ago or something. Nabokov's favorite word is mauve by Ben Blatt, where he kind of just crunches the numbers on different authors and and, and what words they use the most, which I kind of remember seeing a lot of articles about that when they came out. And it's kind of an interesting idea. Some of the things he said was that James Patterson was the most cliched author. Really? Based on based on his statistics of it, that he had 160 cliches for every 10,000 words, which is kind of high. Wow, sounds kind of um, high. And, you know, the certain words that different authors use. So it's kind of an interesting idea, and I always see a lot of stuff of 
people analyzing political speeches this way, right? Where they where they take what words they use the most and try to try to say something about that for political speeches. So I thought someone would have done this with poetry, but if no they have, it. it's hard to find. Um, the closest thing that I found, which was kind of interesting, and we'll put the link up. This is from. I don't know what in the world this website is. My Poetic Side. We'll put a link to it. And they took different authors and fed them through and did those little word pictures of them. You know, you can do that where it makes, shows the frequency by how big the word is. All right, like this first one here, they did Maya Angelou. And some of the ones that look biggest to me, bird, rock, alone, river, rise, woman, men sings nobody today so those are the most occurring words Maya Angelou, Maya Angelou's. Yeah, apparently huh but you do kind of feel like you can get some feeling of Sa- the kind of things of she writes about from that uh robert frost him had back wind thought house Wind Thought House. Yeah, that's kind of weird, huh? It is. Um, but you got, I mean, again, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I don't know what you can take from it. All right, well, I'm going to have you guess on this next one. So next is Emily Dickinson. Let's see if you can guess any of the most prominent words from the Emily Dickinson one. Um, you spent some time in Amherst, uh, Miss Dickinson's hometown. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> House, hi, her, she. Nothing yet. You haven't hit a single one. Uh, out. No. Uh, <laughs> who? Who might be in there? Let's see. But it's not a particularly big one. Uh, I thought I thought maybe you would just stumble on some. Well, there's an obvious one. I think. Obvious now. They? She? Not a problem. she. Okay, An obvious noun. Think of like Emily Dickinson. What is she always writing about? Or think of her most, one of her most famous Bee. poems. Think of a fly buzzing. I mean, I don't know. Death. Death? Yeah. Death is up there. Mm. Little. Little. Sun. Away. Oh, did you say him? Him's in there. I did say him. So you got one of them, yeah. Had. I guess had is just something you use all the time. I don't know. So it's kind of interesting because you can see different things that come out. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I wonder what it tells you. What's uh, the right, website wh- again? What? What's the website again? Um, Mypoeticside.com. I don't really know what this is. What about uh, Langston Hughes? This is maybe easier, some of them, to guess. I, that's so hard. It's so hard, you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's got Dream, Man, Song, America. It's a big one. White. It's kind of funny, huh? Harlem, Hands, Night, Black. It kind of it tells you something. But I wonder what it tells you. All right, one more. We got to do Whitman. We've got to do Whitman. I think you can get some Whitman. Like 
Some women, big women words. Body, song, uh, him. He, Song's definitely in there, yeah. Um, him. He, body's in there, too. Body's pretty big. Man. Body, yeah, you're doing good on this one. Songs and body are pretty big. They're not the biggest, but they're up there. Shall is the biggest, which is weird. Shall. Soul, that kind of makes sense to me. Life, that kind of makes sense. Love, night, earth, death again. Death is probably always a pretty safe guess for a lot of poets. (laughs) I don't know, but I wonder wonder how much it tells us. It's interesting, though, to kind of think about. I found one other thing, someone kind of doing this with poetry. And this is, again, someone just kind of doing this on their own is kind kind of a small thing, where he took... Poetry Magazine, and he ran 3,000 poems through it from Poetry Magazine. Now, I don't know why, how he picked the 3,000 poems. He just posted this to his Twitter, I guess. Bill Manhire, or Manhire, I'm not sure how you're supposed to say his name. He created a little word cloud of the 100 most used words. And a lot of them, I think, are ones that we even said in some of those poets that show up a lot. Light, love, man, night, time, right? Water, world, eyes, day, body. And he kind of makes the point that most of the words that appear most often are one or two syllables. Okay. At least basic, simple. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess maybe it's the directness of them, or or maybe it's the words that are are one or two syllable words or words that we use more often. And he calculated the average poetry magazine poem would be 106 words long and would use 11 of those top poetry words that he came up with. So it'll even tell you like the average length of a poem. Well, that's, well, he's, yeah, he's from the poems that he sampled 106 words was the biggest time came out. Number one, with 944 occurrences in those 3,000 poems. Time. Yeah. Wow. And Love was number two with 831 occurrences. And then he made the point that maybe it uh, betrays some kind of um, prejudice there because man is sixth on the list while woman is 59th. Wow. And white is number 11, black's number 26. Damn. Which is also interesting because there's a lot more disparity between man and woman than there is in white and black on that. But (laughs) I don't know. He also said most of, almost all of them are nouns or verbs. There's only a single uh, adjective in the top 100 list. What? Yeah. Low. Hard. Hard. Which I wouldn't have guessed. But all the rest are nouns or verbs. And maybe that's just because people always say don't use adjectives and adverbs or I try to avoid it. Maybe people have just internalized that kind of supposed writing rule. Maybe that's all that's about. That seems like a fascinating... Uh, yeah, I'm just try- really trying to wrap my mind around what this uh, what this is showing us. Well, and I don't know what it's showing us, but there's this kind of, I think, idea that more vocabulary is better, right? 
I've often heard this idea, which I don't know how true it is, that English has the largest vocabulary, and that's why it's a good language for writing. Have you heard that before? I have not heard that. I mean, it's difficult to really say what the the actual size of a vocabulary is for a given language for some pretty obvious reasons, I think. But it's often cited that English is one of the larger vocabularies. But a lot of that has to do with how you do your counting, right? Is that because we just name it, because English just has as a name for everything? Um, well, part of it's because of the way English uses compounds, right? And that's why the way you count it maybe makes some difference of what the what the vocabulary levels are for things, right? Is bathroom really a different word than bath and room, or are you just running the two together? So you can kind of fudge the counts a little bit with that. I mean, it kind of makes a difference how you're counting those things. I just looked this up. It says that the English language is considered the largest languages with uh, the most words at 1 million... 200 and, uh, sorry, 1,025,109 words. Yeah, and I think that often gets said. Whether that's 100% true or not, I don't know, but maybe we can make some leeway for the way you count it. And it's still probably on the higher end of languages for vocabulary. Uh, but I think you do have to make some distinction about how are you, what are you counting as a, as a word, right? What is a different word as right. individual words? Because some languages just can't do that, shove words together like that. And obviously, if you're doing that, that's going to increase the amount of words you have a lot if you're counting those as separate words, right? So I think you mentioned this when we were talking about this earlier. There was kind of a similar thing going around a little there while is, ago. Yeah. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I was just looking this up. The largest vocabulary in hip hop, right? I remember this back from a while ago, put out by this website called. Uh, Pudding, dot cool. I don't know if it was uh, put out by them or not. I wonder who did put it out. I think someone put it out on their uh, Twitter. Someone did. Well, it's by this guy. Data Matt, scientist Matt Daniels this guy's put got, it out. Yeah, it's, it's by this guy, Matt Daniels. And uh, he puts out this thing called the largest vocabulary in hip-hop. Uh, rappers ranked by the number of unique words used in their lyrics. And basically, he, he drops in Shakespeare. I think he takes like the first five uh, plays of Shakespeare, seven plays of Shakespeare. So it's thirty-five thousand words, and he uses he uses the first thirty-five thousand words of Moby Dick. Okay, so it kind as of ba- kind of goalposts or something on there bases it uh, on this um, thing. And um, it's funny; it has like a few different ways that you can look at it. I'm just going to read this first little part. It says Shakespeare uses his entire body of Shakespeare, 28,829 different words. Okay. Uh, suggesting that he knew over 100,000 words and that he probably had the largest vocabulary ever in the English language. I don't follow that logic, but all right. Uh, <laughs> so he just, he basically, he took the first 35,000 lyrics of all these different rappers. And I guess he used Rap Genius compa- for this. Or and he compared yeah. them, yep. This is a few years old, so it's only up to 2012. And so he basically proved that. Let's see, I don't, I don't know how many artists he has here. He has a lot. He has dozens upon dozens here of rap uh, lyricists. And it turns out that Aesop Rock has the largest vocabulary of anybody. 
I mean, and then, you know, their fans knew it, I guess, apparently his fans knew it before he even came out. And then, like, basically what you have from there, the breakdown is it's just all Wu-Tang um, <laughs> in, like, the top, you know, in the top 10 here. It's four Wu-Tang members, Jizza, uh, Rizza, uh, well, I guess Wu-Tang Clan as a whole, Ghostface Killer. And then Raekwon and Method Man kind of come in the first, you know, the better half, but not as big as those first guys. You know, and Cole Keith comes in, and Cunning Linguist comes in, and Cannabis, and Killer Priest. And All right, who's maybe low on the list that we would, low. Think, we would think would be higher? Okay, this is who's low, and it's not really actually a big surprise, honestly. Uh, we've got... Like the lowest low, or like the lower whole. Well, I just I guess I was saying maybe people that we wouldn't think of as being DMX. He's the lowest. Okay, too short, super low as well. Drake, low. Okay, these guys are like the lowest three. Fifty Cent, Bone Thugs and Harmony, all low, all low. Salt and Pepper, Master P, Edie Pablo, Juvenile. Hmm. So all low. What? So what do you think? Because it kind of relates to our poetry conversation here. What do you think this guy's point was in doing this? Or did or did he just was he just curious? Or do you think uh, he kind of has a he's has got a, a little breakdown, a little interesting has a uh, goal with this way to take a look at it? Well, what is he? You know, I don't know. I think he was trying to look at like just trying to determine their their uh, their vocabulary and, and see how they relate in the world of hip hop. You know, it's eighty five different people. So you know, I guess he could have. Done. I would always shoot for about a hundred, but like you know, if these are the top most most famous commercially selling rappers in you know the world right now or in you know America right now. But do you think he's like implying something about what the difference is with the people using larger vocabulary than the people not using as larger vocabulary? I don't know. I think I think I I think he put it together just to see what it was how it would spill out, you know, and then go from there. Because, I mean, this was kind of big, I think. It got shared a lot on the internet. What, what do you, th- I mean, do you th- what do you think is appealing to people about this? Or why do people like sharing this so much, you think? I think people are like, they like to see where their rapper falls in. You know, they like to see, I don't know. I mean, he, he, he basically did expire them. He did compare them all to Shakespeare. So, well, so, okay, yeah. You know, Part of it's being able to say, okay, they got better vocabulary than Shakespeare. And Herman and Herman Melville, you know, as far as like, as far as like, you know, I don't know. That's like a different thing, I guess, a little bit because Herman Melville's Shakespeare is kind of writing prose, but it's not prose. I don't. So, I mean, I think it's a funny thing, and that's part of what you know is interesting to me to think about it. So, I have a, a linguistics blog that I love called Language Log, and we'll put a link for that up. And they talked about this this. When it, ha- when it happened at the time. And I had to go back and look at it, but I kind of remembered. But their point is that it's kind of, they think people like it because there's this kind of association with vocabulary and social status, right? Really? And we, I can see it. Yeah, and we've got this history in the country. Like, there's been this, they used to give vocabulary tests to to kids when they were in, the, when, when they were in school, right? To kind of break down, okay, where are they economically like what social class are they in and what kind of vocabulary do they have and how does that break down which is kind of horrible but maybe something like this is almost kind of working opposite to that 
in some way because people think of rap as being not yeah. of such a high social class. And if you can say, oh, look, but look, they've got better vocabulary than Shakespeare. Oh, it's high social class. I think. I think some of it is. Well, I'm, I'm of, not saying what you think. I mean, I'm, I'm saying the way that it's perceived, perceived in society, right. right? Yeah, I would say overall rap is definitely perceived in society as lower class. But I'm a huge fan of Wu-Tang, so, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like a... I guess I can't really say. But they also point out that this is probably, anytime you do this vocabulary analysis, it's probably not totally accurate for a lot of reasons. Um, and this is kind of a long, I think, when did the, I think computers really made this happen in a lot of ways. People started doing this kind of vocabulary analysis as it's an easy way to get a PhD or something, right? You can just kind of stick someone's corpus into a computer and see what words they use and see how often they they use things. Um, but there's kind of a problem with this in some ways because you've got to figure out how you're setting these things, right? What is counting as an occurrence of a word? Right, because there's some elements of this that are somewhat problematic. Uh, what You look like you're going to say something. No, I guess so, yeah, how the word is being used in a sentence. So, I mean, there's this whole idea. I'm not going to go into this whole thing, but if you want to look it up, you need to look up Zipf's Law, which has to do by, with ordering words by frequency. And I'm not going to even attempt to explain that in an audio format because you've kind of got to look at the graph to make sense of it. Okay, so what... But basically, what it comes down to is, you know, the more rare that a word is, it should be further down the frequency-ordered list if you're putting the most frequent word at the top and putting the the less frequent words on the bottom, right? Right. Um, But that means it makes it really hard to count how many different kinds of words you have in someone's speech as a result of that, right? Because... Most words are rare, so if you're going to even have them in your sample, you need to have an extremely large sample size, right? So if it's a word that's rarely used, it's not going to even be part of your sample. Well, he just does the first 35,000 Yeah, and that's the problem, right? Like the example they give is if you took Charles Dickens and you said, all right, let's see how much – how much vocabulary he uses. And you're going to, you know, be careful and take things out that aren't really vocabulary and all of that. Well, you're going to be, even when you're getting to like the first 300,000 words, you're still going to be running into words that he never used in the first 300,000 words that he used. Right? So that's going to distort your statistics on what that person's vocabulary is, right? Sure, because <laughs> they also developed over time, and well, it's just well, even if even if you didn't develop over time, if somehow you took everything you ever said in your life, you might use occasionally some really obscure word. You might use, you know, ekphrastic or something. Sure. How many times have you said that in your life? Probably not that many. Hundreds. Well, maybe more than most people, but, you know, but if you took the first 35,000 words you said, it probably didn't appear in there. 
how deep would you have to get into all the words that you ever spoke to yeah, get you to the, the first, first 35,000 word. words I've ever said in my life? Yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, maybe that's a bad example because you certainly weren't running around at seven years old saying ekphrastic. But even if we took the first 35,000 words you said this year. Do you think there's people who never say 35,000 words in their whole life? I hope so. It makes me think of like kind of like that trope in like westerns where you have some guy who just hardly ever says anything. He just occasionally I could see says someone existing and having not said 35,000 <laughs> words in their whole life. But you're talking about rappers or writers or any of these people. These are people who are using words all the time, right? So I think the point is kind of good that it's hard to get a correct sample size to really give a an accurate representation of what their vocabulary is. Okay. Is kind of the point they're making there. Makes sense. Um, and if you look into the Ziff slothing, there's graphs that show how big the samples need to be for you to start getting accurate, and it's pretty disheartening of this having any value. But at the same time, it's kind of interesting. I think it's kind of a fun thing as a writer to just take something that you wrote and write and run it through one of these programs that analyzes how often you use certain words. Yep. Uh, I've certainly done that before. It's fun. So I did, while I was thinking about this, as we were speaking here, I dropped the whole text of my book, Adam Parler, into one of these analyses. One of these eaters. Just to see. Or it analyzed it. Yeah, just to analyze the word frequency. What happens the most often? And it's apparently I had uh, 6,700 different words used in there, right? And a lot of the top things are pretty obvious, which I think would be top for anyone. Like the is the most occurring of word, of course. So I'm not going to ignore the – I'm going to ignore the the and ofs and things like that, which I think are going to be – but some of them are interesting. Uh, blue is pretty high up there, 31 occurrences in the book, which is still pretty high. No is pretty high. White, there's a lot of colors in here, right? Light, oh, that's one of those ones we said appears in poems a lot, right? It's pretty high up. But I think it's kind of an interesting thing to do, and it's cool that you can do that. Eye, well, that kind of makes sense. Skin, black, colors make it in there a lot. Sky, sun, streets, which is maybe not the case for everybody. So it's kind of interesting to do that. But I do think we got to be careful about it. It makes me think of, like, in a whole different field, so have you ever heard of this Upgoer 5 thing? Actually, I have heard of Upgoer 5. Yeah, so what can you kind of explain for us what well, this is? I swear to God that I, I, I heard about Upgoer 5 on another podcast because now that um, you mention it, because what it had to do with, it had to do with efficiency of communication between science labs. Not between science labs, but between really? scientists and the public. But you're kind of on that's the interesting because I'm pretty sure that in order to keep up with current tech, in order to keep up with current technology and science labs, they have they do have a network of sharing information so that everything is current around the world. Because in science, it's sort of like one language, right? Because there's labs all over the world doing different research. Yeah, well, I mean, you're so, right. That's kind of another thing. But yeah, um, this is how they communicate with the public for terminology. So the problem is right. If you gave a random member of the public a science abstract, it's probably going to have a lot of terminology in it they're not going to understand. That like five labs in the world might not. 
Well, yeah, well, yeah, I do think that's if it's outside of your specialty, you're probably not going to understand it either, right? Which is part of the problem. It's got all this specialized terminology. So this came out of this. I don't know if you ever read XKCD comic. It's really fun. You should read it if you haven't. XKCD comic? Yeah. It's, no, it's an internet heard. comic. It's great. It's an internet comic. It's an internet comic, okay. and it's but it's a scientist who does it, so it's kind of you know, academic-y science jokes in a way, but it's really clever. So for one of the comics, they did it kind of as a joke, but they took the Saturn V rocket, but they tried to explain everything about the Saturn V rocket in using only the most thousand commonly used words, right? Okay, so how do you explain rocket science in a thousand... Well, that was kind of the joke. Yeah, that was kind of the joke. Um, What did they come up with? So, okay, so that's where the title comes from, because Saturn V, the Saturn rocket, becomes Upgoer V. Upgoer V. But they have things like, okay, so it's like a diagram of the... a diagram of the rocket, and it says things like can we put this on the... Uh... Yeah, we'll put it on there so you can kind of see, but I'll read a little bit of it. Oh, this is the, like, subtitle under up U.S. Space Teams Upgoer 5. U.S. Space Instead teams. of NASA, right? U.S. Space Team. The only flying space car that's taken anyone to another world. <laughs> and the, so at the top, it kind of shows... It says, thing to help people escape really fast if there's a problem and everything is on fire, so they decide not to go into space. Right. Stuff to burn to make the box with the people in it escape really fast, right? <laughs> so you kind of get the idea. <laughs> yeah. And I think in the comic it was meant kind of as a joke because there is this always idea in science that this is a problem, that there's too much terminology which I think is true, so I think he was trying to make a joke out of it, like what if we really did explain all of these things in the simplest language possible. So someone picked this up, and they created this text editor called the Upgoer 5 text editor, right? And it was this geneticist, Theo Sanderson, and sort of just to make people think about it, I guess, but it if you use any words that are not in the top thousand words, it oh, says yeah. you're using words that you can't use to make you try to and to try to simplify it and turn it into something easier to understand. I kind of want to see the list. Is there a list out there? Okay. So if you go to the to the link, did you get the link? The splashshow.com upgoer five link. You have that? I think I have it. So if you see, so it says on it. Can you explain a hard idea using only the 10 hundred most used words? Which is funny, right? Because you can't even use the word thousand because the word thousand is not in the top thousand words. They have to say 10 hundred. But if you click on that link where it says 10 hundred, it gives you the list of words. Okay, here I am on splasho.com forward slash upgoer five slash. Use the most 10 hundred words. Okay, I'm going to try to to do one right now. All right. It's going to say... you take uh, the paper and fold up, oh, can't use fold, and uh, shape, uh, nope, can't use it. And bend? What about bend? Bend. Nope. Oh, wow. Take the paper and move upward or move, move up. 
over. What are you trying to describe here? Um, I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you take the paper and you lost me with the folding. Otherwise, I think I would know what you're talking about. Uh, I don't know. This isn't quite right, but it's not, it sounds like it sounds like I'm. It's, this sounds like I'm just learning English for the first time, and I'm <laughs> trying to explain to you what it's like to go to a poetry reading. Okay, read it. Read you, it again. You take the paper and add words in the top, and move over to the other end and add words and pictures, and read it to read it to friends in a room full of chairs. <laughs> it's kind of good though, but it's hard, right? It's hard to just <laughs> yeah. Use. That's so hard. So I, I want to read you. So they do a competition with this. I'm just going to read you one of these because it's funny. To try and get scientists to actually explain their research using this. And it's really difficult. And maybe this will like kind of take us where I'm going with this. So this one won one of these competitions. And it was written by this graduate student, Colleen Friel, who does research on plants. Uh, and it's particularly kind of interesting because the word plant is not in the thousand most used words. So That's gotta, weird. Well, I mean, look, you're trying to do poetry reading and fold isn't in there either. That's part of the interesting thing about it is some words that we think of as being really common are not in the thousand most used words, which is kind of interesting, right? All right. So this is the winning entry for describing her research. We study big green things that use sunlight as food and littler things that use some parts of the air as food and live in the ground that the big green things live in. The big green things give the littler things food made from sunlight and the littler things give the big green things food they made from the air. This makes both the big green things and littler things happier. We want to know how the big green things and the littler things talk to each other and decide how much food to give and take. <laughs> Is that any easier to understand? Not really. Not really. I mean, what do you think the big green things are? Uh. <laughs> I mean, I know it's difficult, right? Can you read more? That's that's the whole thing. I guess it. I'm thinking the big green things are trees, and the little green things that are getting their food from the air are maybe like lichens or some other kind of things that live off of the trees because they're sharing their food with the big green things. I don't know, but it's an interesting... All right, why am I bringing this up? Because... This is all about the breadth of vocabulary. Yeah, and what does that mean, right? So we've got the rap thing where people are trying to use vocabulary as like a status symbol of being like, look, these rappers have bigger vocabulary than Shakespeare. And that's great because it shows the talent of these rappers and how intelligent they are. And then we've got these scientists who are in probably the space where they're considered to be too elite and out of touch with the regular person, trying to simplify their language down to simpler vocabulary. So where does that leave us with our vocabulary and thinking about poetry? And it makes me think of when we did the Zapruder article from the New York Times, right? And how it kind of relates to that idea. 
should poetry be something simple and clear or should it be something ambiguous and difficult and hard to understand? Well, and how much of that ha- that a lot of that has to do with vocabulary, right? I come back to the same feeling that I've always had about working in poetry and that like there's different modes of operation and sometimes you do have to distill your language down to be more palpable and understandable to to shape something. But other times when you're sort of like in the lost space of in being in the unknown place of language is when you discover new thoughts that exist within language and, and, and can like refract reality, but are also part of our reality. So it's like, there's different ways. There's like the spelunking and then there's the exploration of language and, and like doing things like random typewriter poems to find what, to see what we get. I mean, we always come back to this, right? And we come back to Dada and Surrealism and Ulipo, these ways of injecting strangeness back into the language as opposed to... But maybe it's like finding some balance always, right? Like we're talking about here. Like the biggest vocabulary, is that the best? Probably not. I don't think... Well, there clearly are people. Who do, but I don't think anyone thinks Aesop Rock is the best rapper in the world. No. I hope not. I mean, there probably is someone who thinks that, but they're just wrong. But okay, I wrote. I, I wrote. I wrote more. You wrote more. Kyrie, All right, you're doing this, this is more Upgoer Five. Yeah, this is Upgoer Five text editor. I'm still in here. I decided to keep going. So this is an edit because I'm making sure it's all that it's only in the first ten, the ten hundred most used words. Uh you have ideas that take to paper and you add new words and a top to the front and add pictures and take away words and move them over to paper on a box made for making and make them more and make more of them to offer for money and then re and then read it to friends in a room full of chairs where they where people sleep like cats and dogs where people sleep like I was with you until that line where people sleep like cats and dogs <laughs> I don't know what kind of room you're describing here. I I know it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Until that, you were right on. I I had it. Understood. In a room full of chairs. (laughs) In a room full of chairs. Where people sleep. That's good. I don't know that people are sleeping in. Instead of open ears. I like it. I like it. Instead is in there, really? Instead of open ears, they drift. No, they well fall. Okay, but that's a funny <laughs> thing. You're trying to do another, or continue the one you were doing before, and that's interesting too, though. I want to know the thousand words. I want to go. I should look up the list. I so told I, you if you click on where it says ten hundred, it gives you the list of words. Can you can, can you do? Oh, there we go. Can you do a? Uh, what if you did a poem that you wrote? Oh, I don't want to say this because this is a really fun idea. Okay, no, but I'm gonna ask <laughs> right now. Listeners, all eight of you, uh, <laughs> if uh, go to the Upgoer Five link, up Splasho S P L A. Well, we're gonna post the link. You don't gotta read the link. But go to the Upgoer Five link, and we want you to write a poem that fits the Upgoer Five constraint that you're only using the ten hundred most used words of the English language. It'd be kind of fun. And you can post that to our Facebook page and we can it would be very fun. Laugh and have a fun time about it. 
Um, but yeah, okay. Well, but I was going to say, as you're doing that, part of an interesting thing about it is it's just another constraint. Right? And that's what writing always ends up coming down to, is what kind of constraints are you making for yourself? And that can even be an interesting constraint, like you're saying. Maybe restricting yourself to the thousand most used words is a fun constraint in some ways, but it's only interesting because it's not something you do all the time. No. But creating constraints is interesting, but you can just as easily create a constraint where you use words that you don't understand. And I think we need to be careful because we fall into this trap sometimes like, oh, you've got to understand what you're saying or, oh, you've got to... Oh, you've got to know what the connotations of the words mean. And that's true to some extent. But we also want to insert randomness thing into things and allow things to create meaning outside of our consciousness, which is good too. If we can combine the outside of consciousness with the inside of consciousness, that's probably the, the, the moment we really want to hit, right? Yeah. So, all right, we've been talking about these different computer things. We talked about using computers as a tool to analyze vocabulary use. We talked about this upgoer five thing, trying to reduce your vocabulary to a certain thing. But you were telling me about a tool that kind of does the opposite, that garbles your vocabulary, which yeah. is kind of interesting. There's this tool online called uh, the Eater of Meaning. Okay. And what the Eater of Meaning does is you can drop a text or you can drop a link, a URL, into the Eater of Meaning. Uh, and it is on... Uh, we'll post the link. You yep. don't need to tell the... Well, I'm just... You know, okay. But you're trying to get there. It's on crummy.com. It's software Eater of Meaning. Okay, you go and you go here and you, you, you just type in, you know, what, should we just do our website? Yeah, so I think it's kind of fun. I already dropped our website into there. Dropped nogoodpoetry.com in there. To and see what and look, do. I dropped something in, and Joseph dropped something in, and we're both, I'll do, I guess we just eat word endings. So I guess the idea with eat word endings, what it does is it uses the beginning letters of your words, but replaces it with a different word that starts with the same letters. So you kind of get this interesting, automatic, garbled, found poetry in some way. Yep. It spits back out this sort of like weird kind of like, you know, I don't even know exactly how they do well, it. Well, let's just show them kind of what we mean. So I dropped mine in and, and it's uh, uh, the title of the the title of the whole thing instead of No Good Poetry. It's No Goose Poetical. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> uh, makeups therein wordy, safeguarded, forewarning poetics. The same one for me says, maker themes, worthy saffron, forester poetical. Nice. Uh, and then and then it goes into uh, the first episode. This is episode, no wait, does it do the last episode first? The most recent episode is first. Yeah. yeah. So this is episode, instead of it saying, okay, so it says, epistemological 43, <laughs> colon, we tall abolishments ourselves that's pretty good well, which is originally we talk about ourselves yeah mine says we talent aborigines over ourselves <laughs> and then it's like august it's aug auger 5 58 26 oh it even changes the date that's by right. by jostle least a compulsion 
<laughs> so it's kind of cool because it just kind of takes these things and transforms them, which is kind of the opposite of what we were talking about. It's also cool because it must just use a totally random dictionary because I see some pretty obscure vocabulary in here that there it is just based on the, the first words. For that same episode, what I get for the description, transformed for our original description, is it says, it's theatrical's death of theatrical sum. <laughs> so we decompression. We'd peel ourselves heatable, outstripped frowns, behave there, podunk, hosted, curfew, Anderson, Tallahoosa, a litany bitters abolishes ourselves, owns curably poetical propulier. Cheerlessness outwardly, our poets and theorists shorten Andy List to thesis endeavors so yourselves cancel hardiness, a poetics Persians withheld, thermometer furnish, Muskegon ensue. Okay. <laughs> but, all right, I'm just going to... One more, one more. Let me just do mine. Oh, yeah, you're in your... Did you say it's better than a lot of people's poetry? Yeah, it is. It's better than a lot of poetry. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think I might, you know, I think I might, uh, this is inspiring me to, we should to just take, take some to bad th poets we like and run them through this, this word eater thing. And <laughs> you could just publish a whole book, take someone's entire collection, run it through the word eater and publish the results. Well, I'm thinking this calls for, I think what this does is this calls for, uh, uh, this calls for a um, uh, a potential, you know, chapbook series, uh, little zine hobby horse series of of uh, what was the other? What was the one called? The something five, uh, upgoer five, upgoer five, and you know, uh, just taking a look at it in different ways. Look, I didn't tell you this one. Let me just tell you this one more that I'm thinking of right now. Before and we'll come back to eating. Right, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna read this. I'll read this one for you. But this is a sidebar. But this is how podcast works. So I did a book for Milenko Budimar, Miles Budimar in Cleveland, and what we did with his book was his cousin left him seven voicemail messages. Oh yeah, that in, was cool in Serbian. But what happened was the transcriptions were done by a transcription service which was an auto transcription service and would put them as an email into his, into his inbox. And there were transcriptions in English of the transcribed Serbian accidentally transcribed in English. Okay. And this stuff is hilarious, you know, and it's just like, and what, here's what we do. We never give the actual translation of it. We only give the false translation of it and the Serbian. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But here, let me read. Uh, so yeah. So read what you came up with that on that. This is uh this is from the eater of meaning coming back to eater of meaning. It's theatricals deacons of thermostats summed. So we're decadent. We're pairing. Ours heave outlandish frontage behavioristic themes, podium hospitalized currents, Andromeda talking, a literalness, bitmap, aborts ourselves, ownerships, curfews, po promiscuous, cherished outlaws ourselves, poem in these shoots, Andalusia lips to endowed, so youngsters 
candidate's headroom, a poetry perversion without theology, furnished muskoxen and snares. All right, so I just had to do it while you were doing that. Of what? I took a Billy Collins poem from the Atlantic and ran it through the eater. A recent Billy Collins poem from the Atlantic? I don't know how recent this is. I just it was the first one that turned up. The original poem was, I am not an Italian. <laughs> it becomes, I am notifying italicize. <laughs> yeah, great. I am noteworthy Italy, technique spear, yet here I am leagued on a zinc barnyard in floodlight, on a sunglass weekend's mortar, my footing up on Teresa, smoother ironed railway, justifier likelier theory other mendalizes holy it muslim be saints arenas officiate anding fulfillment italianizer it's 421 andalusia theology arena offensive to work somehow in offerers othello sweeteners thereon stroked whipper i am offenses to a musculature or a chubbiest to seethed pain Maya Lightface, Canyons and an Alcoholics. Yet Herschel, we alliteration are in ourself, suitor Andean worshiping Shinto. Joins in theoreticians, broker of espoused, or Howell is it sailboat? La fracturing, delegating a spree, dragoons, our leaders, white and cup, withholders, a quint flooding of theorem wrists. Each of us tasteful, Theodosian, Samuel, sweetest of light, long, youthfully taken, a leader, sugared, Andalusian theaters, bit net of its breveting, whenever you're chopped to take her sugars or notches. <laughs> I guarantee you that was better than the original poem. Better than Billy Collins' poem in the <laughs> I think you're probably right. I, I don't think you can refuse that. Well, and if you used it, obviously a lot of that comes out a bit of gobbledygook. Some of it's beautiful gobbledygook. But well, if you if you use that as a beginning starting off tool and then edited it down after, it could be really cool, right? Then you could really make some great stuff, I think. Yeah. I definitely think so. I mean... All right, so... I don't know. I feel like maybe we're repeating ourselves over and over again in these episodes. But I guess the point is... Vocabulary is great. Don't be afraid of it. But, yeah, can you overdo it? Certainly. Maybe you got to find some middle ground on all this stuff, right? And it's the same thing here. Uh, Your rational brain's nice sometimes, but you got to let meaning come out of somewhere other than your brain, too. And maybe some combination of those things is the best, right? Yeah, get lost, you know. Uh, Get lost in in a weird lexicon or language and, you know, is this sort of a Dadaist exercise of chopping up and replacing and sure it is, you know, but sometimes when you chop up and replace and you see it in a new form in a new way, uh, you see something different and, but do both do the up or five thing too, which well, is the opposite experiment, and, right? You know, and read your poetry forward and then read it backwards again. Cause sometimes when you read it from the last line up to the front, it sounds even better. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be pretty damn good either way. It's a nice thing. All right, so I think we've harangued people long enough with our exhaustive exhaustive thoughts on vocabulary. But before we go again today, we have a new iTunes review. Oh, do we? So 
We would like to thank Miss Carolyn Rash. Oh, look at that. Nice. For our iTunes review. Do you want to read the review? Did you pull it up? No, too? I didn't pull oh, okay. it up. She gave us a nice little review on here. Thoughtful considerations and poetry. I first listened to the episode in which Bienvenu and Makos discuss Matthew Zapruder's essay in the New York Times, Understanding Poetry is More Straightforward Than You Think. They both provide well-informed, fair, and thoughtful commentary about how poetry is taught in schools. As an English teacher and poet myself, it was helpful to hear different perspectives on how we frame poetry for students to give them a critical and joyful experience. Makos and Bienvenu were both serious readers and writers, and I believe translators and archivists, who can speak clearly and interestingly on a wide range of poetry, providing historical basis and contemporary examples for their thoughts. I look forward to listening to more episodes. Whoa. Probably way too kind to us there. Yeah. But thank you, Carolyn. That's um, fantastic. But... Yeah, please leave us more reviews. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but I guess someone might read that and be enticed to listen to No Good Poetry. I would so. not have. And that's really it for today, I think. I think that's it. Episode 20. Thank you.